My Family Recipe is a new podcast from Food 52 and Heritage Radio Network, bringing you cherished heirloom recipes and the stories behind them. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Hola, mi gente, mi familia. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are very excited today on Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Sanchez, alongside my beautiful mother. Sarela Martinez. And today on Cooking in Mexican from A to Z, of course, on Heritage Radio Network, we're going to be talking about a subject matter that I think is very near to dear to, uh, to all of us, and especially our beautiful guest who I'm going to get to in a moment. But we're going to be tackling the subject of foods and celebration Celebrations of the Days of the Dead, which is uh, happening very shortly uh, right now and at the end of this month. Uh, and we have with us, of course, Patti Jinich. Uh, of course, Ms. Chef Patti is a Mexican chef, TV personality, cookbook author, educator, and of course, food writer. She's a James Beard Award winning and Emmy nominated public series for her public series television, Patti's Mexican Table. And she's also an author of two cookbooks, Patti's Mexican Table and Mexican Today. Uh, yes, and she's a resident chef at the Mexican Cultural Institute in Washington, D.C., where my mom has also done events with and helped out. Uh, she's born and raised in Mexico City. Uh, she has a beautiful background uh, as far as uh, a, a, a scholar and a preservationist for Mexican food and culture, uh, very much like my mom. And, I, and we are just delighted to have Chef Pati here with us today. And uh, we welcome you. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you for that lovely introduction. And I cannot tell you, Aaron, Sarela, how happy I am to be here with you. I am a fan of both of you and your work. And I have to tell you that the thing that moves me the most is that you are mother and son. I have three boys and I really hope that as they grow older, they'll want to stick with me and want to do projects with me. And so you guys are just such a beautiful example of love and family and how proud you are about each other. And these just, it's so Mexican, you yes, know, absolutely. you guys are being so Mexican. <laughs> but I also wanted to tell you, Arun, I have a third cookbook that's coming out right in November, oh, which I have perfect. right here. The I'm sorry. Preview co copy. Yeah. No, that's okay. It's called Treasures of the Mexican Table, Classic Recipes, Local Secrets. And in here, I have my favorite recipe for pan de muerto. Oh, wonderful. And that's a perfect segue because we love to talk about projects from our guests. So I'm so happy that you have your new book coming out very shortly. You have the galley right in front of you. And remind everybody what's it called one more time and, and, and who's publishing it. Of course. So it's Treasures of the Mexican Table. Classic recipes, local secrets, and this is me, I prettier see. in the cover because I have more makeup on. Stop <laughs> it. It is but, um, it's, um, I've been working on this book for over three years, and, and I have in here classics that I feel are Mexican beloved classics that have been passed down through generations. And they may be known in small regions or large regions, but anyway, here's the, the Pan de Muerto. And this is published by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, which was just bought by HarperCollins, you know, Wonderful. in this changing world. When Houghton and Houghton Mifflin did which one of your books, mom? They did the Veracruz book, but it was... That was a disaster that it came out on the, the September and uh, September 11th. Yeah, I remember. Oh yeah. no! It came out and and and, and worse. Yeah, so it was bad. I mean, there was some some other like bad glitch. 
I didn't have very good luck with the publication of my books. When I pu published my Oaxaca book, they published it initially without an index. So, so we lost all the original sales, you know, but anyways, that's why I'm not writing oh. right now, but I'm, I am going to write another book. You must, Arela, all of your recipes and all of your food. And I have to tell you, I have all of your cookbooks and I love them. Well, I love your book. And we love Aww. you, Pati. You are exactly what Mexi Mexico is all about. The, the strong women representing uh, how to be a, a family, how to be a great mother, but also chase your dreams uh, from a professional standpoint. You are an example, just very much like my mom. So we are delighted to have you here. And I would love to talk a little bit about the significance of, of Dio de los Muertos and Day of the Dead, because it has gotten so much general appeal now with the movie like Coco that came out that is hitting the masses. Uh, uh, people are starting to understand this beautiful tradition that, that is widespread all over Mexico. But let's talk a little bit about the origins, right, of Dio de los Muertos and where it started, right? Some, some people could argue that it has, you know, the roots in Oaxaca, But then if you go to places like uh, Michoacán and the Lago de Pascuaro, they do a beautiful celebration there. So let's talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think Dia de Muerto really is, is pre-Hispanic, no? Like before the Spanish people, there was Day of the Dead. But it wasn't Day of the Dead. As far as I know, it used to be a three-month-long celebration, And then when the Spanish came and they conquered Mexico and they stayed in Mexico for three centuries, not only did they colonize the country, but they also wanted to conquer the spirit. So that's where you have the mestizaje no, of the native Mexican pre-Hispanic religions that combined with the Catholic church traditions. And that's how... Dia de Muerto went from being three months to, you know, three days, which isn't bad. Three days is better than one. Um, but it's become, I think, so incredibly popular, as you're saying, around in the U.S. And some people don't like the fact that Mexican traditions get celebrated or exported into other countries because many things get lost in translation. But I am of the view that... Let's spread the love. Let's, you know, as much as people will love it, it's an open door for us to educate more people about our food and our traditions. And if some people, you know, it's the same as with Cinco de Mayo. Some yeah. people want to just do margaritas and wear their hats, whatever. But I always say Cinco de Mayo is an opportunity for us Mexicans to to be a little bit, you know, on the front and say, yeah, you want to do the margarita, it's great, but you can also make these vampirito and these, you know, other things. You know what's great about the Cinco de Mayo and some of those holidays is that for restaurateurs, it gives you an opportunity to get press because everybody wants to do the Cinco de Mayo thing and, and you know, and it's and it's a good way of spreading our, our culture. But but going back to your explanation of Days of the Dead, it went to, it, it was transferred to the Days of the Dead of the Catholic Church, you know, All Souls Day and All Saints Day. So it conveniently morphed into that, into that, and then it became something else. But I was the first person in, in, in restaurateurs to put up an altar at the restaurant. And, and my kids were in, in private school, and I invited Rodrigo as a Dalton, and I invited the class to go over to see their father's altar, who, who had recently passed away. 
they freaked oh. out. I mean, the kids, the parents were calling me. They freaked out. They didn't get the idea. And look at how much he has changed. Yeah, and that's yeah, um, that's thirty years. 30 years and you can imagine the, 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 the recognition and the understanding of it. I think it, people that are not from Mexico find it a little bit morbid and the idea that we're celebrating and it's not something that's tragic or somber. It's more of a celebration of one's life. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that, about, you know, the specific days, right? Because, you know, the idea of, to Americans for us to go to a cemetery and party at a cemetery in front of our loved one's grave is so foreign, Right the idea of to go to the Pantheon <laughs> yes. and to hang out and have a party. So let's talk a little bit about what those days consist of and some of the foods that are associated with that. Well, I'm interested in that. In the, I'll, I'll tell you about the what I think it is, the way that I define it is that a holiday of memory. You know, they, they don't really come to see you, but you you, you bring them to to you, you know, by, by feeding their, eat, serving their food and putting up their pictures. And it's, remembering those particular people who you have lost. But what I'm interested in, I mean, people are still making the tradition of mortis and tamales and, and champurrado and all that that they normally make for Day of the Dead and the bread. But what are the... Pati's focus is contemporary Mexican food. So what I want to know is what are the young people serving for Day of the Dead? That's a that's a great question and a great uh, background. And I think I mean my my focus really, Sarela, is messy, family friendly, unpretentious food. I I love food that has been passed through the generations. I'm not much into molecular food at all. Like if you tell me somebody's gonna cook something super modern and molecular, I'll give it a try. But I want to find a plate of food that I can dive into, you mm -hmm. know, family food as it is passed on. I love the classics, but also as it evolves and as it changes. Um, I think that people today, I was very surprised when I was in Mexico last year and, and I found that the pan de muertos in individual sizes, which you, I mean, I'm, I'm from Mexico City, born and raised there. You could only find the big pan de muertos. So I found them like in individual sizes. And then they were so trendy in the panaderias and chic cafes in Mexico City, sliced in half and filled with Nutella and with heavy whipped cream and crema pastelera and guava jam and all sorts of things. And I have to say, I was like surprised at first, like, what are they doing to our pan de muerto until I ate them? And there, it's brilliant. It's incredibly delicious. So I think there's room for all. So in terms of the things that are changing, I love to make the pan de muerto as I grew up eating it, which is as I have it in the book. And it's un pan de muerto con flor de azar. You can find the orange blossom water in Middle Eastern stores or Asian stores, sometimes Latino stores or online, the orange blossom water makes your kitchen have this incredible feminine perfume as the dough is rising. And then I add the anise seeds. I love my pan de muerto like that, very big, very full of butter, and I and I cover it in sugar until it can take no more sugar. That's how I like mine. But, and it's not easy yeah. to make, by the way. And I've made it, and I just think it needs a feminine hand. Because let me tell you, I'm very clumsy <laughs> in the way that I do it. 
And I think that you need yeah. that little sort of delicate sort of nature. Not saying that, that women chefs are delicate. There just needs to be an understanding of it. You know what I mean? And I didn't understand that. I listen. I totally, I, I'm with you, Aaron. I'm with you. I think there are some things um, that are, you know, I, I also feel like the pan de muerto is very feminine yeah. in the way it's perfumed, in the way it rises, in the way it's capricious, mm -hmm. in the way it's adaptable and accessible like women are yeah. in our culture. Um, but I have to say, like, I, I was delighted to try the individual versions with feelings and things. So that's why I think Mexican cuisine and our traditions are so amazing because we can continue to hold on to them as they evolve and find new air and new and new versions. And it's okay. But I find, I don't know what you guys think. I find that there are a lot of people that are afraid of change. Um, and, and, and especially with our traditions, I welcome the movie Coco that you're no. talking about. I thought it was beautiful. The song still makes me cry. I mean, Natalia Lafourcade is like yep. ridiculous in English and in Spanish. Um, and and I agree that I, mean, I I won't be surprised if this year, Aaron, we see our boys dressed as whatever it is. Yep. The, the Dia de los Muertos because it's become so big. Some people get insulted again. Um, but I think, as we were saying, it's an opportunity to learn more. And, and I also understand people are afraid of the concept of spending the time with the dead and laughing and drinking and, and, and eating and having fun. But as Arela is saying, it is a time to reminisce of everything we love about them and we're celebrating them. Yes. So we, when you go to Mexico cemeteries, you see a lot of people crying, yes. but you see a lot of people laughing and rejoicing because they're... And, and I think that has to do with our very dark sense of humor. I mean, who yes. eats Mexicans have that. Yeah, Mexicans have a very dark... And it's true. And it's there's nothing wrong with that. Well, I think this year we're going to see a lot of altars for the COVID people who've died, you know. Yeah. You are so right. You know, I think that, that it's not just for individual people, but it's a it's a holiday where we can celebrate, you know, the people who who the first responders, the the people who died from COVID and Absolutely. But I think that that's gonna be a very big thing this year. Yeah, I mean think about all the people that have helped with the fires in California. All those, the women and men, the firefighters, and you're right, the Los Muertos can take on a larger scope and celebrate people that have really put themselves before others and sacrificed so much. And I think that's really special to mention, Mom. That's a, that's a very good point. Um, let's talk a little bit about the significance of, of, of the mole and, and how that plays into it, you know, as far as it being a celebratory dish. And mom, you talk a little bit about in many of your books and, and speeches about, you know, somebody handing you a tortilla dipped in mole and, and the ceremonial part of that. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the dishes. Well, I think that the main dish is the mole. Mm -hmm. and, and, and there's so many different moles that it's like, you know, you, you, have, a, you have a choice. I mean, when you're in Tortilla del Valle, they will give you tamales with mole amarillo for Day of the Dead. Mm -hmm. You know, these tamales are wrapped in a corn leaf. Mm -hmm. They're done very much like they were done in pre-Hispanic times with a tortilla. Mm -hmm. You make a corn tortilla, put a little bit of mole in it, a piece of hoja santa or, pi or pitiona or some other, 
kind of herb, fold it in a very particular way, and yeah. uh, and cook them. Yeah, exactly, Mom. And I think there's those dishes are very ceremonial, right, Mom? And like the idea of being able to take a long time and then señoras make them. I remember going to Teotitlán del Valle with uh, uh, with Soila, and she made me something called higadito, which is like this oh, yeah. beautiful with this beautiful turkey broth. And this omelet floating on top of it. Oh, and it I was love so magical. Igadito. Have you had that? Oh, it oh is unbelievable. God. It is unbelievable. It's life changing. It is life changing. And, and people don't know that. No, people and don't know that. And it's one of those that. obscure dishes. Obscure dishes. And I think that's also something beautiful about our culture, Aaron Sarela. Like, we are a nose to tail. Um, country you know we eat the higadito and we eat the cola and we eat the pata and we eat the oreja and we eat the cachete and i think there's a lot of beauty in that and it connects with our day of the dead celebration you know when we are going to eat an animal we are going to respect every piece of the animal and eat it all and we're going to cook it right and we're, so i think that mm. speaks a lot about our culture and in terms of um, what you were saying about the mole, why I think it's such an important dish for Day of the Dead, it's because typically moles, although there's so many different moles, moles are connected to celebrating and when and to communal cooking. And when you're reminiscing about the people you lost that you love, it's really likely that the things they love to eat the most because they're so special are the moles. And for Day of the Dead, you're supposed to put an altar to and put in there everything or most of the things that that person loved. It doesn't matter if it's cigarettes, if it's beer, alcohol, whatever they liked. If they gamble, then there's cards. I mean, you're not being like... Yeah you know, judgy about, I'm only going to put the good things. If they like to smoke, you're putting cigarettes there because if they're going to come visit you for, you know, 24 hours, let them smoke, right? So uh -huh. I think there's a lot of that. Yeah, and my mom did that too. I remember we did it for my dad. Remember, you brought like a watch. You had his watch there and she put a pack of cigarettes and all this thing that he used to like. And it was, for people that don't know that, it's a little bit cryptic, but <laughs> yeah. it, I think it's beautiful, <laughs> you know? But mom, let's talk a little bit as, well, as we're talking about more. Let's talk about that beautiful tradition of, of, of opening the doors and letting, you know, and putting like flowers and so, so the spirits can find their way into people's homes. I think that's yeah. a really beautiful tradition. Making paths with a marigold to the houses, you know, so people can find their, their way. It's beautiful and leaving the door open so that the spirits can walk in. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there, there does come a moment when you're at the altar and thinking and talking about that, that you actually do feel like a spirit walked in. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like there's like a wind, something that, that happens, you know, where you feel, where you feel that, that that person is with you. And it's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's just a, a beautiful thing because you conjure it up you know, you choose to feel this wonderful thing and welcome them. I agree with you. And I think it's also, you, like for Day of the Dead, you are supposed to make it easy for them to return. So, no, that's why we light the candles and we put the Sempasuchito flowers because the strong aroma and the color and the candles and the food we're trying to lure them to come we're trying to help them to come and opening the doors and it is saying we are welcoming you and here is your 
room, no? Here is your space. And as your mom is saying, um, Aaron, Sarela, I think it is so right. What you're saying is we are choosing to remember, we are choosing to honor, we are choosing to celebrate their life. And so in that way, it's not like it's morbid or creepy. It's like if you're celebrating someone, you want to be happy about the things they love and they like. But I know that it's hard to understand from another, you know, culture. It's, it's, it's difficult and it may seem morbid and strange, especially the eating of the calaveritas. You know, I remember yeah. um, uh, when I was young in Mexico City, there was a, a new family in our school. They were from the U.S. And when Day of the Dead came and for school, we had to write the calaveritas, the poems where you're making yep. fun of people dying and then you're eating the sugar skulls. <laughs> the family was like, they wanted to leave Mexico immediately, you know? Uh, but it's it's how we cope with pain. My family is very much like that. I come from a family of four girls, four women. And I remember when... My parents told us that they were getting a divorce. I must have been like 10 or, or 11 and it wasn't an easy one. And I remember me and my sisters just started laughing, you know, and it's not that we were happy about it, but it's Mexicans have these. We started, you know, joking about the the fights or the things that had happened or because that's how yep. Mexicans, we cope with pain. That's how we cope with pain. Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes we cry it out. No, no, you're absolutely. Sometimes we laugh it out. But talking about your childhood foods, yesterday we had a, a discussion about Sonora hot dogs. Oh my God, yum. And and, uh, and then I saw in your book that you have them, but you gave them another name. And and so and I don't say kept on saying that they have bacon on it. Well, I all of a sudden I was remembering that in Oaxaca, thirty years ago, they had they sold them in the square with a bacon, except with a, with a pickled Oaxaca pasilla chili. Uh, and evidently they have them all over the place. Huh? You had them too. And my mom didn't believe me, Patty. I told her about the Sonoran hot dog, and she doubted me. And I said, Mom, <laughs> really? Mom, you think I'm just making this shit up? Like, no, mom, it's a thing. I and know. then, right? Please, oh, Patty, reinforce me. Back oh, me up, please. Yeah, it's a thing. Thank and you. it's sonoran. And the funny thing is, I think that as Mexicans, I've realized by having, you know, the show Patty's Mexican Table, by going into places that I didn't know, I've become so humbled. I don't, Sarela, I mean, I used to think that flour tortillas were. American only. I come from Mexico City where we eat corn tortillas. Flour tortillas are terrible. They're, they're refrigerated ones. And then I come to Sonora in Sinaloa and I eat the flour tortillas made with, um, with beef lard and with beef crunchy bits of bacon and with evaporated milk and you eat the tortillas o vaqueras and you learn about the traditions they've had for centuries and you realize how little do we Mexicans know about our different regions and our different people? Our countries, absolutely. But the Sonoran dog, I mean, we own the hot dogs. We own the hot dogs. Those hot dogs are Mexico so City. good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but Sonoran hot dogs are pretty spectacular too. But I have to say, I think some of the best pizzas I've ever tried have been in Mexico because we use the bolillo though. You know, it's crispy. Oh, yeah, exactly. 
and then you put Maggie and you put salsa Maggie on top. Oh my <laughs> God! Yes, yes, yes. Carne asada pizza with cebollitas and carne asada and chilitos toreados. Like that pizza has nothing on any other pizza. Yes. And how about the sushi? Oh, the I sushi. The sushi dipped in soy sauce with lime juice and chiles toreados. Um, yeah. The sushi with cream cheese and avocado, right? Yeah. Of course. That's all Mexican. Absolutely. We make everything Mexican. Yes. Yeah. And it's so funny that we're talking about that because this, you know, for me, I only eat Mexican food at home or when I'm in Mexico. You yeah. know, like I have a very kind of strong way of thinking. I guess it's when you're brought up here and then you go back. You know, we always have this funny thing because, you know, I'm, I'm, one of my best friends is Manny Hinojosa, who's this wonderful man who's the global ambassador for Tequila Casadores. And he's Chilango like you. Yeah. So we won't get mad at him. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's from Coyoacán. Ya sabes, es de Coyoacán. Y es super así. Pero fresa. You, um, fresa. But he told me that some funny things about Mexico City is really this, this hub and is able to uh, take all these beautiful aspects of our culture and make it make it better or celebrate it. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's what's beautiful about where you're from and why we understand that Mexico is the one place, Mexico City is the one place you can get a taste of all of Mexico in one place. Yes, 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 yes. Good food is worth a thousand words. This is Arthi Menon, and I'm delighted to share a new podcast with you, My Family Recipe, from Food52 and Heritage Radio Network. Adapted from Food52's much-loved column of the same name, the My Family Recipe podcast will bring its pages to life. Each episode of My Family Recipe brings you a cherished heirloom recipe and the story behind it, from voices across the world of food. We'd open these tubs of dough, and it's they would exhaust these incredible yeasty fumes and it just smelled like nothing else. It was so intoxicating. I'll interview writers and chefs, parents and children about what's passed down along with the foods that we know and love. Chinese people aren't like born with a download on how to like velvet chicken. You know, like that's not something that just like comes to you. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And how can people connect with you, Shepati? Oh, how can people thank you so stay much. in touch and make sure that they can continue this charla and this and this uh, beautiful conversation? Because oh. this is just one thing that you're that you're an expert on, but you're an expert on all aspects of Mexican food and culture. So we can have you for any one of our subjects. So I'm sure people want to engage with you. So how can they do that? Absolutely. So I am uh, at Patty Hinich in all of the social media platforms, and I spell my name. P-A-1-T-I, um, Patty. So Patty Hinich everywhere. I'm, I think, most active on Instagram, um, Facebook, Twitter. I don't really get a handle of it. I try. Um, but you can find me on social media there. And then, of course, you can watch Patty's Mexican Table on PBS and Amazon Prime. But I also have a new primetime special that's premiering next Friday and it's a two-hour special on Amazon Prime and PBS called La Frontera and it is about the border communities um, mm. in Texas, Mexico. Oh my God, Aaron, you would have loved Wonderful. to be there. 
It is. It's, it's, it's in, in English or Spanish? It's in English. It's in English. And, okay. um, but, well, you know, we're, we're from that part of the world. You're from which part of the world? Well, I was born in Sonora and raised in Chihuahua in a cattle ranch. But what happened was that because there were no schools anywhere near there, we were sent to boarding schools in El Paso and San Francisco, oh! which is why I speak English. So, I mean, I'm totally borderland. Oh, my yeah. God, the borderlands. Yeah. Ah, the borderlands. It was so fascinating. Because talk about breaking myths about Mexican food and culture, which you guys are doing so beautifully in the, the podcast and all of the work that you do. I think the borderlands, and you're from there, there's even more myths and more preconceptions, and they're labeled so narrowly, and people there are so warm and lovely and wonderful. I don't think you grow up in El Paso? Yes, I spent time there, yeah. In the summers, I would go back, and between uh, growing up in New York City, every summer I would be back there. No, um, no so, wonder your son is so yeah. cool, Zarela. He's a borderland mm-hmm. kid. Eres un fronterizo. That's why you're so nice. I was a board. I was a border at Loreto Academy for all my life, and so was my mother. And she raised us, and my mom raised us Mexican. Yes. You know, and that's the way she raised us. So Absolutely, but I feel like, no, no, and I get, you know, I get the, the Mexican, and I love the Mexican, but I also feel like there's these... From Terra, this border thing, that's a beautiful thing about Mexicans that live in the U.S. like us, that we are so proud and rooted in our Mexican roots. But um, we love to share it here north of the border, you know, and we enrich this world, too. So you can have the two. You're proud about these, but you're enriching these, which is what you do. You know, when I used to do a lot of speeches, which I don't do as much anymore, I used to say the United States took California, Texas, New Mexico, Nevada, Colorado, and and the Mexicans have quietly reclaimed it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I got a question really quickly from Miss Amy. Yes. And she asked the idea about the pizza dough, the, the dough from the bolillo. Yes. Right? So can we talk a little bit and define that, how we make that? in lieu of a traditional pizza dough. Of course, of course. So because in, and, and, and this is also something that not many people know because people think about Mexico in terms of tortillas, right? Corn tortillas or flour tortillas. But how good are our breads, right? Bolillos and teleras, mm-hmm. crunchy, savory. And there we have to thank the French, you know? The French were the ones who brought that kind of bread to Mexico and we adapted it, made it our own. And I think it is because of the tradition of the panaderias that if you go to pizzerias in small towns in Mexico, they use that dough, which is incredibly simple. It's just flour, salt, and water. And um, and it's very, it's crunchy, it's crusty. I think it's crunchier than your regular pizza dough and then the wonderful thing about Mexican pizzas is that we dress them and we garnish them just like we do tacos like you were saying Aaron you know we do the carne asada pizza I was in in oh my god Sarela tasajo and cecina pizza in Oaxaca oh yeah um, so the good. Clayudas and the clayudas, yeah, uh, sure. the clayudas. Mexican pizza, yeah. Exactly. Well, did you did, did you have the bolillos in Juarez? 
I did have the bolillos in Juárez and I ate them menudo in Juárez with bolillo instead of tortilla, which is a very Juárez thing. I mean, absolutely. Those bolillos, I mean, there's nothing like those, those bolillos anywhere else in Mexico. I agree. Absolutely. And I think there's something about the towns in Mexico that are near the border that are so exquisite because I feel like we're trying to hold on to our Mexicanness because we're rubbing to the U.S. all the time, all the time. So it's like these holding yeah. on to what's what's ours, what's Mexican. Yeah. Well, we had a program before where it's in El Paso particularly, there are no good restaurants, or maybe now there are a few good restaurants, but in Juarez, traditionally, there were always fantastic restaurants, Chinese, French, you know, Spanish. And, and also and the service, really, the service, the was, service. Europe, was European, you know? You are so Mexico right. City's done, and Mexico City's done that forever. Yes. I mean, Mexico City has had European influence in their restaurants forever. But. You are so right, Aaron. I was talking with Oscar Herrera, who you probably know from El Paso and Juarez, and he's he's with me in this special. And he took me to restaurants on both sides of the border, and he was explaining to me how it is so different to have restaurants here and there because in Mexico, the attention to service is so important because people that come into service see it as a lifetime thing that they have to get better and better and they're so proud about it and the attention to hospitality and service whereas in the U.S. he said that people in the hospitality um, business that are servers waiters in the back of it they see it as just a transitional thing and um, that's, I mean, and that's, that's the what... way he explained it I mean, in, in, in New Orleans, where I live, we have restaurants that are 130, 40 years old, 130-year-old restaurants. And the gentlemen and the ladies that work there have worked there for 45 years, 50 years. That's very Mexican of them. 70. Yeah, but this is New Orleans, you know, which is interesting as well, you know? But, yeah. There used to be a, a restaurant in Juarez called La Casa del Sol, owned by a good family friend, Luis Estavillo. And he had so much attention to service that if somebody was going to be celebrating a birthday, he would have a trio out in the parking lot, which is directly in front, to welcome them. So it's like restaurants are an extension of our homes, right? Yeah. Exactly. It was beautiful. And he was so avant-garde. Yeah. In the 60s. What is your favorite restaurant to go out to in Mexico City? Oh, oh, you're asking me such a hard thing. I mean, I think I always go to El Cardenal. Um, Cardenal is the best. El Cardenal is just like, you can't go wrong. It's good for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner. They make their own bread. They make their own cheese. They make their own tortillas. And you can find, it's the food that I like. It's like the classic Mexican food. That's not super modernized or molecularized. It's just like beautifully made classic food with extraordinary and I, service. And I love our, and our friend, uh, Chef Lugo, what, his restaurant. Um, is it Nikos? Yeah, Nikos. Yeah, yeah. I love Nikos Oh, as Nikos well. is yeah. so good. Nikos is so good. And I love Nikos as well. Yeah. That's another great one. You know I what I have? It's incredible. Nikos. I agree. The thing that I always get when I go to, to El Cardenal, I usually go for Christmas. Um, we go to Mexico 
to my see my family in December and it's the época de romeritos, you know? So they oh, have the best romeritos and they have the tongue, la lengua en salsa martajada and they bring el molcajete con la salsa cita mulada. Um, so Nikos, el cardenal. Then of course, I mean, um, as far as tacos, I still go to el farolito which I don't even know if it's good anymore, but I grew up going to it and I, I can't help it. Yeah. Yeah, and then... And, and, the Avenida Insur and the Avenida Insurgentes has all those beautiful puestos as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? They have great places, yeah. And I, I'll yeah. tell you something that I used to go to all the time and every time I go to Mexico, I go, there's an ice cream shop called Chandoni, which is like a hundred years old. My grandfather used to tell to take me there. I don't know that you're saying insurgentes. It's around there where los guajolotes used to be. And, yeah. and Chandoni was, this was an Italian immigrant who brought Italian um, machines to make ice cream. And he had, you know, those glasses that are aluminum that makes the ice cream feel colder. But he started making yeah. Italian style ice cream with Mexican flavors. So he started making corn ice cream, avocado ice cream, mamey ice cream. And, wow. and they they make it the old style, but with Mexican ingredients. And to this day, I still go and I get a hot fudge sundae, which people ask me, why do you get a hot fudge sundae in Mexico? Well, because the vanilla ice cream is made with vanilla from Veracruz and the chocolate sauce doesn't get hard because it uses the Mexican chocolate. Um and every and everyone should go to Dolores Hidalgo, by the way, if you want to eat ice creams, because they make it there in the plaza and the Zocalo, and they do it the traditional way where they spin it and they have all these really crazy flavors. Dolores Hidalgo is a wonderful place to visit. But I also love, and I just want to say this, you have to go to Mexico City, go to La Opera, uh, the, the famous bar where apparently Pancho Villa shot in the roof and all this stuff, and Zapata and all those guys rode back in the day. So if you have a chance to go to La Opera, it's a really cool old-school bar. You know what well, I'm I'll thinking? Well, I'll tell you what my favorite, yeah. mm -hmm. what my favorite restaurant is, El Eden, the Lebanese restaurant. Oh, my God, it's extraordinary. I know it, I know it, I know it. And people don't know that you can find Middle Eastern food in Mexico. And it's so good because there's a huge Lebanese community. Absolutely. Yeah. There's an elegant one in, in, in uh, Pedregal. And there's uh, somewhere like that. And then there's a, a casual one on that, that street where they have all the vendors. Mm -hmm. And all the fabrics and all that. Then this is what we need to do, you guys, because it's great to connect with voice. And I love seeing you on video as we're recording this. But we need to go to Mexico together. That would be a blast. Yes, I would love that. We have to do it for sure. I think that would be a beautiful trip. And, and you know me, like a good Mexican, I just listen to the, the, the powerhouse uh, Mexican ladies tell me what to do. So you just <laughs> tell me, go over here, go over there. Y yo con el hocico así. You know, uh, quiet, and I just listen and learn from you ladies. And you eat, so and that. you eat. We'll take my voice too. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And we have to, and you have to come visit me in Oaxaca. I, so I was going to tell you, Sarela, I just came back from Oaxaca and I went to uh -huh. San Sebastián de Rio Hondo, which is like a three hour drive from the city of Oaxaca. And I went to learn from this lady called Maria about Herbolaria Mexicana, like 
the uses oh, of Mexican. So I'm gonna I'm gonna connect you to this woman because we were talking about todos los remedios. Um, the las, las hierbas mexicanas, there's so much power there. And it was so magical. So she gave us ideas on what teas to make for what, what um, smoothies to make for what. You know, you can make medicinal honey. Um, so we stopped relying so much on, um, on you know, um, medicines that you may not need. I mean, of course, we take medicines for what we need, but for little things like que gripa o que la panza o que esto o que el otro, like the teas and the... Anyway, I learned so much. I'll, I'll introduce you That's to this woman. Yes. Oaxaca has so much knowledge. It's incredible that you're going to go there. We will have to go visit you for sure. That'd well, be thank great. You so much. Thank you so much, Chef Pati. We are unbelievably honored and so grateful for your presence here on Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. We've been talking about the foods and celebration of Dio de los Muertos or Day of the Dead, but obviously Shepati is so well-versed in all aspects of Mexican food and culture, so we could have brought her here for anything. You can definitely um, seek out uh, Shepati and all, all her different social media uh, uh, outlets and her website. Please be on the lookout for your new book, Pati, which is called, one it's more time. It's called Treasures of the Mexican Table. Outstanding. And Holtlin Miffin, which is now Harper's Collins, or they both are going to be publishing this wonderful book. We're going to make sure that we put that up on our social media to, so people can go seek out your book. The pub date is in November, you, you mentioned, Exactly, right, yes. November 23rd, but you can pre-order now. I'll, I'll sign and dedicate anything. Oh, wonderful. Amazing. We will have to share our meal together soon. Thank you so much for inviting me to join. This was an honor and a treat for me. For us too. Te mando besos, mi reina. Besos. Muchas gracias. 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 Cooking in Mexican from A to Z is powered by Simple Cast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without your support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Yeah.